It's about time someone gets real. Bro, are you sure we're even supposed to be listening to this? Welcome to the Church Misfit Podcast with motivational and thought-provoking content designed to push you further personally, professionally, and spiritually. If this don't move you, you might be dead. Here's your host, Catalyst Collective founder, Joe Elliott. All right, if you love science and practical tips, session three is definitely for you. So we're going to cover... um, a hack for time management with yep. Rory's talk. And then with Vanessa's talk, we're going to, we're going to gauge ourselves on a charisma scale. How much charisma do we have as a leader? Yeah. Um, so I think we've got some cool formulas here. Let's start, let's start with the time management. Rory Vaden jumped in here and he had, um, he had laid out uh, our classic view of time management, which is to prioritize our tasks, right? Yeah. Using, the urgent important matrix, which he alluded to, and other ways that we try to categorize how we use our time. And he added in a third component outside of just urgency, importance. He says significance. In other words, how long, um, you know, a time requirement, how long is, uh, is, is this something we should be messing with or working with or spending time doing? And so he's giving us a way to look at how we can multiply our time by giving ourselves more, he called it, emotional permission to do something today that would multiply our time tomorrow and called it uh, a focus funnel. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to paint a big picture of what he kind of said, and then we're going to kind of wrestle with it ourselves. So, um, first of all, he uses the analogy here, which I think is important on, you know, we do this with money all the time. We like the idea of compounding our money. Let's put it in an investment and let's reinvest that over and over and over, and we can calculate a return. Now he says, well, we can do the same thing with our time. We can look for a return on our time if we are willing to use a more formulaic approach. So here's his formulaic approach with every task that occupies part of our time. We're asking ourselves three different questions to know if whether we should maintain that task ourselves or move it or dismiss it. First question is, can it be eliminated? Mm -hmm. Um, Second question is, can it be automated? And the third question is, can it be delegated? The best part. Right. So, we're going to filter every task through, can it be eliminated, automated, or delegated? If not, it comes to me, and now I have to decide whether this is something that must be done now, because if so, that's something I have to concentrate on, or if it's something that can be done later, in which, cra- in which case I can procrastinate on it and maybe kick it back to the top of the funnel yeah. and not focus on it now. So my priorities should be on those things that come through that funnel that I couldn't eliminate, automate, or delegate, and um, therefore I must concentrate on or procrastinate. So that makes sense. Uh, let's kind of jump into his formula. And here's the, here's the calculation and science behind it. Give me a task, Aaron. A ta- what do you do on a daily basis? Give, oh, me, give me something. Yeah, I brush my teeth. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Can no. can Aaron eliminate, automate, or clean, delegate I, that? I pick no. up my room. I clean up my room. Okay, cleaning your room. Okay, yeah. so um, so you <laughs> you could eliminate that. I don't know where that is on I priority could scale. Move out. You could. I don't know. Yeah. You, you could automate it. I suppose by paying somebody else to do it. Well, more maybe more so automated delegate in terms it. of like have like really specific bins for everything, or, or like I don't or have buy to an iRobot. Whoa, that's a great idea. But that's a form of delegation. Yeah. Okay, so we're looking at tasks and whether it's it's something that seems as trivial as cleaning, or whether that's inputting data on a spreadsheet. We're looking at how much time it takes us to do that task. Yeah. And then we're saying to ourselves, okay, if that takes. Uh, five minutes a day and I do that once a week and we're running the math on that. That's a chunk of our time. Yeah. Well, we can buy back that time if we, if we can delegate that automate it or eliminate it altogether. Right. So we're looking at his calculation of significance is ultimately look at the task and the amount of time you spend on it and invest 30 times that amount of time in trying to hand it to somebody else or delegate it to somebody else. For if sure. you're able to do that by creating a process to automate or delegate it, then what you've done is you've taken that task and all the time you're going to spend on it and you have bought that time back for the future. You're spending more time now to save more time later. Now that's a very loose, raw summary without visuals yeah he said something along the lines of like five minutes a day comes out to what was like over a thousand minutes later um or you delegate it to someone else it it would just take 150 minutes to train them and 150 minutes compared to over a thousand minutes is that's how much time you're saving Yeah. yeah so let's talk about the practical principles behind this because the idea is if you want to free up more of your time to focus on the things that you do best that will produce the best results for your mission, yeah. then you have to invest time in continually looking at the things that you are doing and figuring out how to eliminate, automate, or delegate them. Totally. Um, thoughts on this one? What stood out to you, Kenny? Uh, none of this makes sense if you don't have a vision and there's a, a purpose to your whole life. Okay. Meaning that. Well, he's talking about um, there's three types of mentality when it comes to, to wealth or money. And one is that if if you don't have a long-term approach of significance in the way that you handle money, then you will make in-the-moment day-to-day decisions because you're not even sure if you're going to have money tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Another mindset yeah. is the yeah, paycheck good. to paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's like you think, can I afford this payment Mm-hmm. on this car or this you know stereo or whatever and that and then the neck but the the ones that were very wealthy people have is is the investment thing that you're talking about how can i how can i do something today mm-hmm. that may take me five minutes today that's going to give me more time tomorrow mm-hmm. and if and unless you have a reason to even think that way you won't think that way that's good. So the fallacy, the thought, and he addresses this, is so that most of us think, hey, it, this would be better and faster if I just do it myself. Right. Which 
is true short term, but false long term. It's not right. even. It's not even a. I don't even think it's just about tasks. I think it's just how we spend our time in general. Mm-hmm. So, let's just say you come to the end of the day, and if all you're doing is you're thinking about how you spent spending your time for that day, mm-hmm. or how you're spending your time to keep a job, that's the paycheck to paycheck mentality, in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Then when you come to the end of the day. When you're through with your task list, that's really, it's the discretionary time. How do we use that time? What am I going to use the time? Am I going to use that time to just kind of watch another movie, to watch another sporting event, to scroll endlessly through social media? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to use that time to invest in something that's of significance, something that's going to give me more time tomorrow? Yeah, and that's a good point. So if you're running an organization and mm-hmm. you're and you're and you create a process that saves time in a particular area, if you're not using that newfound time to again invest in other parts of your business in some way, shape, or form, it is going to waste. And so it, it could be in relationships. Yeah. It could be you know it's not, it's not so much that you you know. Yeah, sometimes I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to I'm going to read a little bit. It's kind of like again another conversation we heard earlier is that that curious type learner, mm-hmm. but it could be also I'm going to take this next five minutes and I'm going to make this phone call, and mm-hmm. invest in a relationship because of the significance that that's going to have. Totally tomorrow. I, yeah, that that's good and a lot and that's I'm glad you brought that up because when we start to think of where our times time goes. You know, reaching out, human to human interactions, like encouraging somebody, mm-hmm. thanking somebody, you know, whatever. Those don't those don't normally register as tasks that we have to do a lot of the times. Right. There are things that I feel like a lot of times, honestly, as Christians, the Holy Spirit nudges us to do. Mm-hmm. People are brought to our thoughts and minds all the time, all the time, and we and we rarely write it down to or act on it. Mm-hmm. But what I hear you saying is this is a great way to process this is to is to look at it through the through um, the small things that we can do with our time that would bring us the greatest return as we relationally connect and reach out to others. It goes into the whole holistic when we talk about holistic discipleship, yeah. holistic mentorship. It's not just how are we leading people professionally but it's also personally and spiritually. Yeah. And so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, let me yeah, and this is and that's a good that's a good reminder. So we, you hear you'll hear us um talk about holistic development or mm-hmm. holistic discipleship. And what we mean mean by that is is the ability and it's our methodology that has been so successful for us with with Catalyst is to is to help draw out the best in people by investing in them in those three buckets personally, professionally, and spiritually. Whereas the church would hyper-focus on spirituality and and neglect personal and professional development, and the workplace would do the opposite. To step in, no matter where you are, and to lead people and help them win in all three of those buckets is holistic development or discipleship. And when you do that, you will find that that will bring the greatest reward to to them and to your mission because they are bought in. That's the stickiness yeah. that as humans we're mm-hmm. looking for. We're yeah. looking for people to come along and say, am I seen, who's helping me 
draw out the best of best in me personally, professionally, and spiritually, and that's that's key. Um, so to apply this thought of time management into how we use that to reach out to people, I think is is pretty profound. Yeah. yeah. Did you have thoughts I, I, you want to throw in there? I just Aaron? loved that he said um, ROTI. We mm-hmm. hear ROI a lot in right. different iterations of that. Yep. Sales. See, um, working especially with, with you, Kenny, in our, our past endeavors, like talking about sales funnels and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. it goes back to like relational funnels. It goes mm-hmm. back to task funnels. It goes back to return on time investment. Yep. And it kind of gets to the core of things that are important. And he, he ended off his session with um, that quote from Andy Stanley who was saying, Leadership is not about getting things done right. It's about getting things done like through people or with people. And it comes mm-hmm. down to mm-hmm. delegation is one of the key components of leadership is is finding and it goes back to what um, the couple of first sessions was like finding people, investing in people and telling people, hey, I'm, I believe in you that you can get this accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so I just love how all these sessions are flowing together to the word holistic mm-hmm. over and over and over again. It's just mm-hmm. affirming what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious what your thoughts on this are. I feel like as a, 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 I, as a leader, really identify with the trap of, man, it's just better or faster if I do it myself. Yeah. Right? I, I, I probably say that daily. And, and the truth is, is because my experience a lot of the times is when you do get to the point of training or delegating, it often finds its way back to you. And so... When you've experienced that a lot, the frustration builds and you just assume it's going to happen again and again and again. And I forget about the times where it didn't find its way back to me mm-hmm. and it stayed away and, and somebody took it and ran with it for years before I saw it again. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah. um, I, I think I'm, I'm too quick to look at all the times it doesn't work out and I forget the times that it, it does. Sure. Right. Totally. I'm really idealistic when it comes to um, tasks. I want everyone to be cohesive and work together. And so it's just idealistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, (laughs) um, but I have got like, I I work a lot in like the digital marketing, um, the Mm -hmm. creative world. Mm -hmm. And I've found myself, especially in the past couple of years, I've found a really um, (laughs) annoying headache inducing, but reliable team. And it took me a long time to trust them. But now that I have, I've seen, um, like a return on time investment after those months of relational equity that I built with these people, mm-hmm. I have just from one end of like graphic design to photography to everything where people that I can call up from halfway across the country and I can say, Hey, I trust you. But, it, and it took, it took months and over like a years for me to develop that trust. But yeah. now that I've got it, I ha- I can meet the needs of consumers. I can meet the needs of, of people literally from across the country in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So the summary here with Rory's talk is prioritizing does not create more time. Yeah. As a leader, you have to be disciplined enough to commit to the process of creating more time by willing to use something like his focus funnel and yep. uh, yeah. and run what you do on an ongoing basis through these filters and train your people and, and those who follow you to do the same. So love that. Let's talk about uh, Vanessa Van Edwards. So she brings up what uh, was called the charisma scale. So if you're, if you're going to gauge your level of influence um, on two levels, on one end of the spectrum, you have warmth, mm-hmm. right? So, some of us are, are more naturally inclined. Aaron, Aaron, you've got a lot of warmth. Uh, totally. You know, when people engage and connect with you, they feel like 
you know, you're their best friend almost immediately. So there's a level of, of warmth you project. On the other end of the scale is kind of the competence scale. Like someone who may not have, yeah, that would <laughs> definitely be me. Someone may, who may not have that level of warmth, but, um, but there's a trust that's built in that I seem to know what I'm doing. Yeah, definitely. Right? And, and the ideal leader, the ideal charismatic leader should fall somewhere in the middle of that scale, having both warmth and competence. And so, Kenny. so and there we go. You're like me and Joe mixed yeah, together into one. Yes. You could be our child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, so, so Vanessa's talk is centered around how do we find that center um, balance of both warmth and competence to maximize our level of influence or charisma. And so she, she jumps in with um, three things, focusing on our intention, our trust, and our inspiration. So let's talk about the intention side of it first. This is being purposeful with our cues, our, our words that are used as primers. Um, and she gives a lot of examples about that. But, um, but how everything that we say, whether it's verbally or even in an email, mm-hmm. our words can be used as primers to build warmth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like over the years I'm doing a better job of that. And I want to think through some specific examples where we maybe have experienced that or done that. Because I know in, in simply writing an email where mm-hmm. we... We're, we're solidified on a date. We just locked in a meeting. Okay, 10 o'clock works for me. Great. See you then. Bye. Like, I want to be efficient to the point. That's it. Yeah. But if I shift that email a little bit, maybe I can gain more influence and build more warmth by saying 10 o'clock sounds awesome. I can't wait to go over this with you. We're going to knock this out. Um you know, see you in the morning. So I added a, a little bit more flavor mm-hmm. that maybe primes mm-hmm. right the relationship there a little bit and extends my influence. Yeah, and if you include like donuts are free that will be there, <laughs> I think that's a little warm. And that's ultimately why donuts and coffee have made their way into the church. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Right? That's yeah, exactly yeah, what it is. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I, I've definitely seen that in um, just like the sales force world like you're sending an email you you have a lot of experience in this and you just you just say like this is our products this is the data thank you and usually you're not going to get a response right and i've gone to trainings and i've gone to seminars for sales and one of the biggest takeaways was from a guy who talked about where he just asked the person how they were doing mm-hmm. he just created a, a warmth aspect to it that wasn't forced it was just like hey i see the value this adds to your life and it's going to save you time and it's worth it. And then he, he, he showed results of how like exponentially more responses he got where that works in the church world, the business world, and just in the regular non-working world. Mm-hmm. I thought she had a good filter in that she said, I want you to think about how you want somebody to feel before, during, and after working with you. Super good, yeah. Because then you can use specific words as primers to intentionally cultivate exactly that, right? And so my these examples that we're talking about, whether it's email or whatever, are part of that. But she says to avoid the negative side of things, which is often how meetings can start, right? 
where we talk about, oh, man, the weather was so bad. Oh, yeah, yesterday was a stressful day. Or when we start off on the negative, um, that could have the adverse impact that we're wanting to have. So focus on positive statements, positive words in a lot of what we do. So it makes a lot of sense on the surface to me. Yeah, I like to also just question or just a takeaway was like do an email audit and count the amount of warm words that you use and count the amount of competent words because it really is a balance you want that you want to look for that sweet spot yeah Yeah. believe it or not i'm i'm on the competent side Mm -hmm. all i gotta do is just ask my wife i've been married 32 (laughs) years and um yeah you know it's you have to whatever you're deficient in being aware of it self-awareness and then working on it to balance it out i think it's great mm-hmm. and i loved you know you know what i wrote down is that is that people don't um they let's see where is it uh our interactions start as soon as someone thinks about us not as soon as we in, actually interact wow yeah. and that was powerful for me too it's yeah. like okay so when i when i th- when somebody, you know, I send out a calendar invite or I send an email out, hey, let's get together at such and such time. Mm-hmm. It's in that moment that they begin to think, you know, that's when our interaction starts because they are now thinking about me. So what is it that I mm-hmm. want to, how do I want them to think about me? Well, here we're saying we want them to think that, hey, Kenny likes me. Uh, I like Kenny. Uh, he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, and he believes in me. Mm-hmm. that I can do it too. You know, those kind of things. And yep. so, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yep. So her second uh, tip here, building trust, is is to be visible and expressive with your hands. And I thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. So they went and measured all the people doing TED Talks and looking at which TED Talks got the most views versus the least amount of views and trying the pattern recognition, ultimately. Yeah. So one of the patterns that stood out to them uh, was that those TED Talk presenters that gestured more with their hands had a higher viewing and more followers than those who didn't. Yeah. So the takeaway is talking about um, how do you engage people with your hands and, and demo more expressively, especially in an era of Zoom where we're all just like, seeing oh, yeah. headshots of one another, right? So I, I thought, do you guys have any, what, what were your thoughts on that? And like the usage of, of hands yeah. as, as a tool for influence and charisma? Especially building off of this pandemic, um, I read an article where it said something along the lines of like 70, 80% of our interactions are, are um, body language. Mm-hmm. And our bodies are actually being stripped of the fullness of communication because we're through Zoom. And so that directly applies to that's not a, a novel, it's not a new thing. That's that's mm-hmm. a that's old thing. And she talked about how normally the, the poll that she did, you would look at people. The first thing you would see is their face. That's that's current age. But she went, she took it back what hundreds or something of years, and she'd say the f- first thing people noticed was their hands, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the reason is is because like, kind of goes back to that reptilian brain. Like when survival was more mm-hmm. like like intricate for life and and we had less things we we're more focused on just seeing the next day like people's hands you don't know what if that was a rock if that was a weapon if that was food if that was and so when these ted people ted talk people come out you see they're open-handed and then you look at 
through a lot of interactions with new cultures, like through anthropologists and sociologists, like traveling the world and meeting these indigenous cultures, all these other people, they're approaching and they're going with open hands. You know what I mean? And so to me, that just further pushed this notion of like, <laughs> this is kind of a side tangent, but just um, we need community and we need people and trust is built inherently through um, physical interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Any um, any final takeaways from her? She talked about inspiration a little bit, even voice inflection and how that matters um, oh, yeah. in the whole scheme of things. Ultimately, we want to leave people feeling better uh, than when we found them is mm-hmm. is kind of uh, a philosophy that um, she's embracing with her, her methodology here. So I love that. Um, yeah. It's just being aware of how we, we talk, our inflection, the use of our hands, it's the nonverbal cues as well. Yeah how it impacts our interactions. And you know, we're talking about leadership, and if we want to lead well, we need to pay attention to how people perceive us. Yeah, absolutely. So her website was scienceofpeople.com forward slash GLS. Yeah. Um, there were additional videos there that you can go and, uh, and check out. So that re- pretty much wraps up session three. Yeah. And we will uh, be back for our session four recap here soon. For more free content from Joe and his team of church misfits, visit www.catalystcollective.community.